Well, I want to say good morning. Turn to the person you're sitting next to and say it's going to be a great day. It really is going to be a great day, and I am thrilled that you're here. Good morning to those who are at our Mill Creek campus, those who are watching online, and those who are watching by TV, and those here at our Sugarloaf campus. Thanks for being a part of uh, what we're about to do today. Most people don't know this, but I have really come close to dying on two times, two occasions in my life, and they both uh, involved a car. And the one I'll share with you is when I was a student pastor quite a few years ago in a church north of Atlanta, um, I was going to a Christmas party, and it was being thrown by the volunteers in our student ministry, and it was being held at a house that I'd never been to before, and I was really unfamiliar, didn't know, quite know how to get there. So I'm driving down this road, and it was rainy, and it was foggy, and uh, couldn't see very well, and I came around a curve, and all of a sudden, my eyes got this big because I saw a sign that said, stop, and because it was raining, uh, the road was slick, I slammed on my brakes skidded right into the path of an oncoming car. And I don't mind telling you, as those bright lights got closer and closer, I literally saw my life flash right before me. That car broadsided me right in the driver's side, right where I, right where I was, T-boned me, knocked me right into a ditch. Now, uh, thank God the other car was not driving that fast because of the weather. I'm telling you now, I absolutely would have been killed, but except for being a little sore and banged up and the driver wasn't hurt, um, I'm grateful that God spared my life and it could have turned out differently because I was not expecting to see that stop sign when I came around that curve. It just didn't occur to me there would be one there. And as I look back on what happened to me years ago, it, it, it hit me that life is a lot like that. You're driving down the road of life and uh, things look okay. You're not expecting anything to happen. You're not expecting any problems. And you're around a curve in your life and all of a sudden you see this big sign. That doesn't say stop. What it says is quit. You'll be broadsided by things that you never saw coming and you'll be tempted to quit. You're Wife will walk in on one day or your husband and she'll or he'll say, I, I don't love you anymore and you'll be tempted to quit or you'll be discouraged because of something somebody said and you'll be tempted to quit. You'll fail where you absolutely thought you were going to succeed and you'll be tempted to quit or you just get tired of trying and you're tempted to quit. A thousand ministers quit the ministry every month. And I can tell you there have been some Mondays in my life I wanted to quit. There have been some Mondays in my life I said, you know what? There's not enough money in the world to do this. There's just not, it's just not worth it. It's not worth what you have to go through and what you have to put up with. And there are times in our lives we're all tempted to quit. We are in a series we've been calling Mirror Image. What we've been saying is, imagine that you had a mirror, and you could look in that mirror, and it wouldn't show you what you look like on the outside. It would show you what you look like on the inside. And I've been asking the question, what would you see? We've been talking about character because the most important part of all of us is our character. Because at the end of the day and at the end of your life, what really matters about you is not what people saw on the outside, but what you really were on the inside. So we've been exploring the, kind, the, the, the building materials that go into constructing the house of character. And today we're going to talk about one of the greatest values 
And one of the greatest virtues that in my mind you have to have if you're going to be a person of character. And that character trait is perseverance. There's just nothing that can take the place of perseverance. Let, Let me give you an example how important this is. You will never read a biography of a great quitter. You ever thought about that? You'll never see a long line of followers behind great quitters. You'll never see a trophy or an award given to a great quitter. Former President Calvin Coolidge said this. He said, nothing in the world can take the place of persistence. Talent will not. Nothing is more common than unsuccessful individuals with talent. Genius will not. Unrewarded genius is almost a proverb. Education will not. The world is full of educated derelicts. Persistence and determination alone are omnipotent. He's absolutely right. The only people that ever really get far in life are the people who were tempted to quit, but they didn't. They were tempted to lay down and stay down, but instead they got back up. And there is a man in the Bible who is in the Bible. He has a book about him in the Bible because of one thing, his perseverance. He had a big sign in front of him that said to quit. Most of us in his situation would have quit. He had every reason to quit, but he didn't quit. And because he didn't quit, he has a book in the Bible named after him. It's all about him, and we know his name today. His name was Job, not Job, but Job. And if you brought a copy of God's Word, if you'll go to the book of Psalms in the middle of the Old Testament, turn one book back left, you'll be in the book of Job. We're in Job chapter 1. Now, most of us know the story of Job. If you don't, let me just kind of refresh your memory and bring you up to speed. Probably when you read the entire Bible, no man in the Bible outside of Jesus ever suffered more than Job. Matter of fact, it would even be fair to say that outside of Jesus, nobody in the Bible ever suffered more unfairly, more unjustly. No man ever got less of what he deserved or more of what he did not deserve than Job. Because the one thing you find out at the beginning of the story is this. Job didn't do one thing to bring all these troubles on himself. Job did not do one bad thing or one wrong thing that would cause all of these things to happen to him. So we'll pick up in Job chapter 1, verse 1. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God. And shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. Now, you talk about a guy that had it all. He had hit the trifecta lottery of life. He was holy, he was healthy, he was happy. He had a beautiful wife. He had 10 precious children. He was filthy rich. He was the most respected, revered man in the entire land. He was the wizard of us. Give me some love here, okay? He was the wizard of us. And what is even more remarkable is what God said about him. Listen to this. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Now, this is what God is saying. There is no one on earth like him. How would you like God to say that about you? How would you like for God to have such a high opinion of you? He said, 
There's nobody like John. There's nobody like James. There's nobody like Sarah. There's nobody like Pam. There's nobody like David. There's just nobody like them. He said, there's nobody on earth like him. He's blameless. He's upright. He's a man who fears me. He is a man who shuns evil. Now, God knew everybody everywhere, and here's what God says. There's nobody like this guy. There's nobody that loves me like him. Nobody that looks to me like him. Nobody that lives for me like him. Then a conversation takes place between God and Satan, where Satan basically questions Job's sincerity and Job's motives. He says, yeah, I know God serves, I know Job serves you, and I know Job loves you, and I know Job obeys you, but after all, why not? Look at how you have blessed him. Look at how good you have been to him. So he says, how about this? Let me test Job's faith. Let's just see if he really loves you for the right reason or not. Well, God permits it. And that's when the fun begins. Because before you can blink an eye, Job loses his fortune. Thieves come and steal his oxen, his donkeys, and his camels. Then they kill all of his servants. Lightning strikes and kills all of his sheep and their shepherds. Then before he can even call his insurance company, he loses his family. A tornado sweeps in, kills all of his children. Then the coup de grace, he loses his health. He's afflicted with these pus-filled sores and boils that cover his entire body, and there's not a doctor in sight. So here's good, old, righteous, holy, wonderful, God-fearing, God-loving Job. He goes to sleep with everything and he wakes up with nothing except the most important thing, which was God. So I read somebody said that if Job was a country songwriter, he would have written a song with this title, I can't eat by day, I can't sleep by night, and the woman I love don't treat me right. And, and, and that would have been the song that he would have sung. And I'm gonna be very honest. <clears throat> if Job had responded the way the vast majority of people would have responded, if Job would have responded the way we would think about responding, this book would have never been written. Job's name would have never been known. And so we learn about a great character trait called perseverance from this man who teaches us a great lesson. <clears throat> tough times never last, but tough people do. Tough times never last, but tough people do. So as we live life, here's what you're gonna learn. Number one, we shall face problems that will make us want to quit. We will face problems that will make us want to quit. Now, the next time you're overwhelmed by problems in your life, and I'm sure some of you walked in here today and you're saying, oh, nobody knows the trouble I'm in. Pastor, if you only knew what I was going through in my life. Well, the next time you think you've got it bad, go read the book of Job. Now, I'll be honest, it won't make you feel better at first, but it will put your problems in perspective. You know, they, they, they call the day that the stock market crashed and caused the Great Depression, they call it Black Monday. Well, Job had the blackest of all Mondays. He didn't just lose his money in the bank. He didn't just lose his retirement. He lost everything. And when you read verses 13 through 18 of the first chapter of Job, it describes how one of the greatest estates anyone ever had in history was wiped out in less time 
than it takes for the earth to rotate on its axis in one day. Listen to what happened. So a few enemies slaughter all of his cattle. Lightning destroys all of his sheep. Thieves and murderers kill all of his servants. A tornado leaves all of his children dead and buried under the rubble of their own homes. And that's just the first day. Round two begins the next day. Satan raises the stakes even higher. He goes back to God and he says, okay, you've afflicted everything he had. Let me afflict him. God says, okay, I'll let you do that. So Satan drops this disease bomb on Job and literally obliterates his health. As a matter of fact, a pastor went through the book of Job just to enumerate all the physical problems that Job had. Here's the list he came out with. <clears throat> he had inflamed ulcerous sores, persistent itching, degenerative changes in facial skin and disfiguration, <clears throat> total loss of appetite, fears and depression, purulent sores that burst open, scab over, crack, and ooze with pus, worms that form in the sores, breathing difficulties, foul breath, weight loss, chronic excruciating pain, high fever chills, and diarrhea. I mean, he has all of these terrible problems. And by the way, remember, this was in the day before you had insurance with pre-existing conditions. So Job's got all of these problems. And guess what? Nobody <clears throat> wants to be around Job. And Job doesn't want to be around anybody. So he's now rejected. He's isolated. He relocates to the city dump, which is what we would call it today. Here's what we read. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. The ashes there, that refers to the city dump where nobody else wanted to go. It was a place where they burned garbage and, and rubbish and excrement. I remember uh, back years ago, I visited the uh, World Trade Center uh, in December after 9-11. <clears throat> and I went to what is known as Ground Zero. I'll never forget it. It was exactly where the World Trade Center had totally collapsed. And I sat there looking at ground zero and all there was was all this rubble and all this twisted steel and smoke was still coming up out of the ground. Well, Job had become a human ground zero. There was nothing but rubbish and smoke coming up from all around him. And Job began to ask the two questions you and I would start asking. Why and why me? How many times have you asked that? Why and why me? And see, we're almost, thank you, brother, we're almost always moved to ask the wrong question because when something bad happens to us, here's the question we normally start to ask. How do I get out of this? That's normal. How do I get out of this? I don't know how I got into it. How do I get out of it? That's the wrong question. <clears throat> the right question is, what should I get out of this? Lord, what are you trying to teach me? Because here's what you're going to see in, them in just a moment. Problems are not meant to defeat you or depress you or even discourage you. They're meant to develop you. In the hands of God, problems are not tools to tear you down. They are tests to build you up. Now, if you think Job's got troubles, they're just getting started. 
Because you, here's what you're going to find out when you read the book of Job. His biggest problem was not what he lost. His biggest problem was not the loss of his estate and the loss of his wealth and the loss of his health and the loss of his family. You think things surely couldn't get any worse, but they do. Because not only shall we, will, will we face problems that will want us to quit, that will cause us to want to quit, we will hear people tell us to quit. We'll hear people who will tell us to quit. Now, let me tell you what's going on here. Job has been bathed in an ocean of defeat, devastation, death, disease, depression. Maybe you're sitting in one of those pools of water right now. You say, man, that's where I am in my life. Well, there was one more wave he didn't see coming, and it was the wave of discouragement. Because I'll tell you what I've learned, and you've had it happen to you, I've had it happen to me. It's one thing to be tempted to quit, to be tempted to give in, to be tempted to give up, to be tempted to throw in the towel. But you know what? It's another thing when the people you're closest to tell you to quit. They tell you you ought to give up. They tell you you ought to throw in the towel. Here's Job drowning in a sea of sorrow. His head is barely above water. What he needs is a helping hand to pull him out and up. But instead, the people he loves and he trusts the most put their foot on his head. And guess what? It begins with his wife. Job is sitting on a pile of garbage, scraping the sores off of his skin. Despair surrounds him like flies at a picnic. And his wife, his wife, comes up to him with these warm, encouraging, uplifting words. Listen to what she says to Job. His wife said to him, are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. What a woman. What a wife. Why don't you just... Curse God and die. By the way, there's that word integrity. Remember we talked about that earlier in this series. There's the one thing that Job still had. He had lost almost everything, but the one thing Job held on to was his integrity. Now she's saying to Job, why don't you just throw your integrity away? And oh, by the way, while you're throwing your integrity away, why don't you just throw your own life away? Why don't you just curse God and die. Because the one thing that Job had continued to do up until this moment, even with everything that had happened, he kept doing the right thing. He had done the right thing by not responding in the wrong way. Now, you'll find out later in the book to tell you the whole story. Yeah, eventually, he will confront God, but he'll never curse God. He will question God, but he'll never quit on God. He'll try to reason with God, but he'll never reject God. He'll try to stand up to God, but he'll never walk away from God. But can you just imagine your husband or your wife or the best friend you have in the world basically coming to you and, and, and they find out you're, you're having all these troubles, you're having all these difficulties. Can you imagine them saying to you, why don't you just commit suicide? Why don't you just go jump off a cliff? You may have read the other day about uh, a, a young lady that was sentenced to 15 months in prison because she actually encouraged her boyfriend to commit suicide. And that's exactly what was going on here. She said, look, why don't you end your own life? And oh, by the way, Job, as you're jumping off the cliff, why don't you shake a fist in God's face and curse him on the way down? Because there are two things that Satan will always try to get us to do when we're going through tough times. Remember this. He'll try to get you to quit on God 
and quit on your faith in God. He'll try to get you to give up on God and give up on your faith in God. Now, here's the good news. You ready? Man, we need some good news. Here's the good news. Job still has some great, close friends. But here's the bad news. Job still has some great, close friends. And they come to the rescue. Let me tell you about these guys. They are the original dumb and dumber. For, for those of us who remember, you remember Lloyd and Harry and Dumb and Dumber? Remember those guys? They were always trying to do the right thing, but they wound up doing the wrong thing the wrong way and making thing wor things worse. Well, Job had three friends. And they didn't make things better. They made things work, worse. Because here's what Job knew. Job knew, I have done nothing to deserve this. I have done nothing to bring this on my life. I've done nothing to cause this to happen. I'm in a mess that I have not created. But these three stooges felt like it was their job to be accusing attorneys. So they come to Job and they try to convince Job, you ought to quit Job on you. You ought to quit on yourself. They try to convince Job, Job, you don't have integrity. You may put on a big front, but we know better. Job, you are a hypocrite. That's what you are. And by the way, here was their argument. You ready? They said, look, God is holy and God has to punish sin. Well, that's true. God is punishing you, Job, which was not true. Therefore, Job, you've done something wrong and you're getting exactly what you deserve. And let's face it, doesn't it happen to us sometimes? Deep down in our hearts, something bad happens to our next door neighbor or something bad happens to a relative or something bad happens to somebody that we know. And deep down we ask, I wonder what they did to deserve that. I wonder why that happened to them. I wonder what God's issue is with them. So Job's wife comes to him and says, why don't you just throw away your integrity? And Job's friends come to him and say, Job, why don't you just admit you never had any integrity to begin with? And now, not only does everything seem to be against Job, but everybody seems to be against Job. Poor old Job. Everything and everybody has joined to become one choir, and they're singing this one-word song over and over and over and over and over. Quit, 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 quit. And we've all either been there or one day we will be. We've all been knocked down, flat on our back, lying on the mat. The referee has reached the count of nine, and we've got one of two choices. Lay there and quit or get up and fight. And see, both his wife and his friends say, hey, Job, we've solved your problem. His wife said, I know what you need to do. Curse God and die. His friend said, we know what you need to do, Job. Just admit to God, you're not really the person that we thought you were. You know you've done something to deserve this. You know it's all your fault. Just get honest and just admit it and just quit on yourself. The problem is, if Job had taken either one of their advice, we wouldn't be telling the story. There wouldn't be this book in the Bible. We would never have heard of a man named Job. So now Job's got to face a question. Job's got to answer. Job's come to a crossroads in his life. Okay, what am I gonna do? 
My wife says, curse God and die. My friends say, curse yourself. My, my wife says, throw away your integrity. Joe's friends say, admit you never had any integrity to begin with. So you've got these problems that are telling you to quit. You've got people who are telling you to quit. What are you going to do? You're thinking about quitting on your marriage. You're thinking about quitting on that dream. You're thinking about quitting when you're so close to making it, but you just don't know you can go one more day, one more minute, one more step. Well, that leads to the third lesson. And that is we must have the perspective that ensures we don't quit. We must have the perspective that ensures we don't quit. Now, let's just see where Job is. Job looks like a fighter that's out on his feet. It looks like this fight needs to be stopped. It looks like the battle is over. Job look, looks like he's on his last legs as if there was no fight left. And look, let's be honest. I'll be honest. If at this point Job had thrown in the towel, could you really have blamed him? Could you really have pointed to Job and said, Job, why are you giving up? Why are you quitting? Well, pretty easy. Job, it seems like everything is against you. Yes, it does. Job, it seems like everybody against you. Yes, they do. And the truth of the matter is, most people would have quit. And in that same situation, a lot of people do. Because let's go back to that first devastating day. day. Remember that? When Job had lost everything. He lost his fortune. He lost his family. And then you read one of the great passages in the entire Bible. Verse 20 is nine words in the Hebrew text. And they describe what Job did before they tell us what Job said. Those verses do. This is what Job did before what Job said. And when Job's world collapsed, the Bible says he collapsed. Who wouldn't have? Who would not have just fallen in the dirt? But then you come to verse 20. And I want you to listen to this verse and focus on three words. Listen to this. At this, Job got up. He's lost everything. Sheep, shepherds, servants, sons, daughters. He's lost everything. He collapses at a heap. But then he gets up. He peels himself off the ground. He gets up. He goes back out into the boxing match of life to fight one more round. I was reading the other day, many, 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 many years ago, long before any of us were born, the heavyweight champion of the world was a man by the name of Gentleman Jim Corbett. He was a great, great, great boxer. And he said something, and I thought, even though he said it many, many years ago, it was so good, I wanted you to listen to what he said. He said this. He said, fight one more round. When your arms are so tired that you can hardly lift your hands to come on guard, fight one more round. When your nose is bleeding and your eyes are black and you're so tired that you wish your opponent would crack you one on the jaw and put you to sleep, fight one more round. Remembering that the man who fights one more round is never whipped. And he's not. So Job, the Bible says, gets up. But what's more amazing is just about the time he gets up. Listen, well, look what he does now. Well, this is so good. He voluntarily goes back down, but this time for a different reason. Listen to this. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. 
Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Now, let me just be practical here for a minute. I've seen a lot of things in my ministry that just crush me, break my heart. And I don't, I'm not trying to sound, you know, like I'm having a pity party here because I love what I do. I enjoy it. I just, there are just times in life you realize you're just called of God to do it and you have to take the good with the bad. And you don't even have a clue in an average week what I hear from the bad side. You just don't know this person's got cancer. This person's grandson's in the hospital and may not make it. This person's son is 13 years old, has leukemia, and just died last week. I hear it every week. I hear it week in and week out. I hear all of the bad, terrible stuff. I mean, I just do. But of all the things that I've seen that's happened in my ministry that just is so discouraging, here's what discourages me more than anything else. I'm thinking about some people right now. They lose their marriage. Or they lose their job, or they lose their dream, or they lose their 401k, or they lose their retirement. And you know what they do? First thing they do, they quit church. The time they needed to be in church the most, they quit church. I'll go to church. As long as you're cool with me and I'm cool with you, I'll go to church as long as I got the job and the paycheck and I feel good and my marriage is great, my kids are healthy, but you take one thing away from me, done, won't be back. I've seen it happen time after time after time after time after time. And if you don't learn anything else from this story, you better learn this. If there's ever a time you better be in church, if there's ever a time you better be with God's people, if there's ever a time when you better be in God's house, if there's ever a time you better pour yourself out and worship, it better be when everything's caving in on you. Because you never get anything out of walking away from God. You lose about the only thing you've got left. And you lose the one thing that you need. Job fell down and worship. See, here's what we know about this man named Job. He didn't wallow in self-pity. He didn't walk away from God, but he went to God in worship. Listen to this. No bitterness, no whining, no cursing, no blame, no how dare you do this to me, knowing how uh, what an upright man I've been. How dare you do this to me? I've gone to church year after year after year. I served in the nursery. I helped park cars. I taught a Bible study class. I gave my money to the church. And now you do this? Not from Job. He gives God the one thing that God always deserves, whether things are good or things are bad. He gives God worship. Job's entire world had walked out on him but he would not walk out on God. So when his wife says to him, why don't you just curse God and die? Why don't you just go to the top of, the, of Stone Mountain and take a flying leap and give him the fist while you're on the way down? You know what he says to his wife? Listen to this. What, this is such a great statement. One of the most incredible statements in the Bible. Listen to this. He replied, you're talking like a foolish woman. I love that guy. You're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God 
and not trouble? That's a question we all have to answer, isn't it? Oh, we praise God. We love God. We adore God. We glorify God. We serve God. We obey God. We worship God when things are good. But are we really going to be so prideful? Are we really going to be so arrogant? Are we really going to be so full of ourselves that we'll say to the one that created us and the one that gave us life, I'll take the good. Don't you dare give me the bad. Will we accept good from God and not trouble? You know what Job was saying to her? He was saying, we may not always like what life gives us, but we can always trust the God who loves us and gives us life. We may not always like what life gives us, but we can always trust the God who loves us and gives us life. No, Job didn't quit on God or his faith in God. But in fact, because of God and his faith on God, he did not quit on himself. And that's why we read this fantastic testimony about Job. Listen to what we read about Job. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. In other words, Job didn't quit. He didn't quit on God. He didn't quit on his faith in God. And because of that, he did not quit on himself. And it's because of his perseverance. We have this book in the Bible. It's because of his perseverance. We even know who this guy was. As a matter of fact, you know what's amazing? 1,800 years after this took place, 1,800 years after this happened, the brother of Jesus, a man by the name of James, pointed Job out as an example. Here's what he wrote. This is 1,800 years later. You have heard of Job's perseverance, and you've seen what the Lord finally brought about. Do you know what James was saying? 1,800 years later, Job's story had been retold and retold and retold from generation after generation after generation because the story of Job is not about his suffering. You know what the book of Job's really all about? It's not about Job's stuff suffering. It's about Job standing. It's about Job saying, I don't care what everything else tells me to do, and I don't care what everybody else tells me to do. I will not quit on you. I will not quit on my faith in you. I refuse to quit. A history professor once said, if Christopher Columbus had turned back, nobody would have blamed him but nobody would have remembered him either. If he turned back, nobody would have blamed him, but nobody would have remembered him either. Listen, when life goes sideways, and I got news for you, life goes sideways. And when life goes sideways and a wave of trouble smacks you in the face and knocks you flat on your back, one of two things will always happen, always. There won't be any in between. You won't be in the same place. Either you will lower your view of God or you'll raise your faith in God, always. You'll either say, if that's the kind of God you are, I'm done with you. Or you'll say, even if you slay me and take my life, I will trust you. 
You'll either lower your faith, your view of God, or you'll raise your faith in God. So when that time comes and life goes sideways and you're around the curve and there's that sign that says quit and things didn't go the way you thought they would go, things didn't flow the way you thought they would flow, things didn't show the way you thought they would show, you're kind of to decide, what am I going to do? Am I going to quit? Am I going to keep going? Well, let me just say this to you. As you make your decision, remember one thing. God is still in charge. If you lose everything you have, God is still in charge. If you lose everything you are, God is still in charge. If life wipes out everything you love, tragedy takes it all, God is still in charge. If your business goes bankrupt tomorrow, God is still in charge. If the x-ray comes back with bad news, God is still in charge. Yes, you may question God, but don't you ever quit on God because God never quits on you. Matter of fact, if I were to ask all of you today, hey, when you die, do you want to go to heaven? I mean, I, I get it. That's kind of like asking a kid, hey, if you got a week off, would you like to go to Disney World? Sure. I mean, who doesn't want to go to heaven, right? Well, do you realize the only reason why we know that we're all going to heaven if we love Jesus and if we trusted Jesus? Do you understand the only reason why we know we're going to heaven. Can I tell you why I know I'm going to heaven? Can I tell you why if I drop dead on this platform today or if I get killed going home today, don't weep too long and don't weep too hard because I know I'm going to be with the Lord in heaven. Do you know how I really know that? It has nothing to do with me. The reason I know that is because I know God will never quit on me. In fact, there's a verse in the Bible that says this. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You know what Paul was saying? What God starts, God finishes. God never quits. So let me just, let me just close with this. I want you to think about this. What if Jesus had quit on the way to the cross? Where would we be? Or how about this? What if he's hanging on the cross and he said, wait a minute, I'm not doing this. I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to do this for you. I'm not doing this. Where would we be? We can have eternal life. We can be forgiven of all of our sins. We can have the God who created this universe to live in us for one reason, because Jesus didn't quit. And because he didn't, we wouldn't and we shouldn't. So let me just say this and I'll be finished. God has a process on how he wants your life to flow. God has a plan on how he wants your life to go. God has a purpose on how he wants your life to grow. So don't quit on God because he will move his process. 
He will work his plan. And he will accomplish his purpose. So that at the end of the day, no matter what you've lost, everything will work out for your good and for his glory. So if you came in here today and you've been tempted to stop, you've been tempted to quit, you've been tempted to lay it all down, you've been tempted to curse God and die, you've been tempted to walk away from it all, and you're tempted to do it, I'm gonna tell you, you run into the stop sign of life, run that stop sign. Don't you quit. Even when everything's telling you to quit and everyone is telling you to quit, you run that stop sign because when you do, every time, you'll find God waiting with open arms. Let's pray together.